In August 2015, Gary Newman and Dana Walden, co-chairs and CEOs at Fox, met with journalists to discuss the upcoming Prison Break reboot. When questioned about the reasoning behind rebooting this particular show, Walden remarked that people are still interested in these characters. And she was right. Prison Break remains one of the most successful library shows on Netflix. What is it about these properties that make them so ripe for being remade? A cynic might argue that it's the result of a tired system relying on fond nostalgia to gather as much cash as possible from a sinking ship. But what if it were something more? What if there was some intangible quality that couldn't be quantified? This show is about the search for that essence. This is Still Interested for Curio. Welcome back to Still Interested, our TV and film reboot remake podcast. I am, as always, Ben McAllister. And I am your good friend, Jackson Yusuf. My good friend and yours. What a boy <laughs> to have on the show. Thanks for being, uh, thanks for being a recurring guest. Yeah. <laughs> thanks uh, for coming back yeah, on the show. I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for being you, Ben. Thank it's, you. Um, it's a pleasure. So, we <laughs> have just watched a movie, Oh, Jackson. man, what a movie. I mean, it was a very good movie. We are, of course, talking about... The Mummy, directed and written... By Stephen Summers. Stephen Summers, you are a man yeah. to behold. I'm not sure. Um, listen, if this is the only thing he ever did, good on him. Oh, yeah. He's already made it. Magnum Opus. Did you know that there was a 1994 live action The Jungle Book? I did know that. Summers. I think I've seen that film. Well, there That you go. is the film that introduced me to romance. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> As a concept? Yeah, I think so. Like an abstract notion? If that's the film I think of, there Dude. was there was like a scene between like the uh who's the main character from the Jungle Book? Um the the boy. The Dude, boy. No, sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole right now. Did you know that there was a third mummy movie in two thousand and eight? Are you talking about the uh, Dragon Emperor? Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? Yeah, you better believe I knew that. You better believe I saw that, dude. I haven't seen that movie. Now, I may not have told you this, but I'm a big fan of this franchise. Right, dude. Before the movie starts, we get a little movie. Uh, This is like a movie within a movie that explains the movie you're about to watch. It's like a whole film. It's being narrated. It's like all about how the emperor in this Egyptian city had this like beautiful mistress who's all walking around Mm, looking all sexy-like. The Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Sorry. Yep, that's a pretty important one. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have stopped you. Yeah, no. It feels uh, irrelevant this time around. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so he's got this beautiful lady who's only his lady and no one else is allowed to be around her. But No one else is allowed to touch her, yeah, dude. dude. And to prevent that, she is covered in paint. So that if anyone touches her, it's going to smudge. Yeah, exactly. So that they'll know. Uh, but of course, Imhotep, the, the, the Pharaoh's high priest, is like, you know, smooching up on his lady and they're having a little touch time. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we get this this scene. surrounded by his golden yeah. his golden friends. Yeah, exactly. So even Tep's this high priest and the uh, I guess the priests uh, subordinate to him are all painted head to toe in gold. gold. Grease paint, dude. This gold in- greasy paint, oh. and they're all like wearing like loincloths, and yeah. just they're all kind of overweight. It's so and, like, bad it's, like, a to whole look at. Buddha thing going it's on. It's very hard to look it's at. It's quite with your eyes. confronting. And and so like she walks into the building and she walks through this big line of gold men, and then she's in this room with Imhotep, <laughs> and like there's all these sexy smoldering looks going on, and then they're you know kind of hanging out doing whatever they're doing in there. Yeah. You don't really know. But then the pharaoh shows up. He walks into the room. And uh, there's just his lady there. Yeah, 
Anak Moon, who's just voguing. Yeah. Like, voguing she dude. walks in and she's just there holding, like, she's just striking a pose against his little statue of leading, this big old cat. Leaning against a very suggestive big cat statue. Yeah. Uh, at which point the pharaoh realizes mm-hmm. that uh, Imhotep and uh, Anak Moon have been doing the damn thing. Uh, they've been boning behind his back. Well, but yeah. then before he can, like, really get upset about it, uh, Anakson and Moon and Imhotep turn on him, and just we get this like shadow puppetry scene Dude. of like the the, it's the, very the golden fat boys just watching uh, their pharaoh being stabbed to death. Yeah, yeah, they're all just happy to watch because they all love Imhotep. They love they're him so boys. much. He's their, he's, he's so their guy. charismatic. They all, we don't see it, but he must be. I right? mean, they all rev Imhotep. They all love <laughs> Imhotep. Yeah. They're all retweeting yeah. him. The pharaoh's but, guards show up. Yeah, Pharaoh's bodyguards roll in. Imhotep's golden boys whisk him away. And Oxana Moon's like there. But she's like, don't worry, you can bring me back. And as Imhotep is being dragged away against his will, he just yells out, I will resurrect you! Which just... Wow. And then she turns to all the guards who are coming in and says, my body is not his temple anymore. My body is no longer his temple. Yeah, and then they stab the fuck out of her. They just stab her a lot. And she dies. (sighs) And then somehow Impotep has her body, even though... Yeah, I guess under the cover of darkness, yeah, they... Yeah. It doesn't matter. Imhotep and... Ocean Eleven's thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole movie within yeah. this movie. <laughs> movie. There's like three layers of movie here. Yeah. So Imhotep and his boys get the body back, and they go to some temple in some distant city, and they're doing this ritual to like bring her back to life, and they're like really about to fucking get there. And then all of a sudden... The pharaoh's bodyguards just bust in. Apparate like, into like the room. teleport in. Yeah, exactly. they literally just appear inside the room and stop it all and then they're like enacting all of this horrible horrible murder yeah they uh they mummify the golden boys alive which is horrifying which to me seems like a bit of a oxymoron like can you really pull out somebody's organs and still call them alive yeah anyway. at a certain point they're probably gonna die right but i guess yeah. if you do it really quickly right mm. like maybe it's like a speed thing yeah, yeah it's like a uh, speed run it's like a time trial speed yeah. run mummification yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah it'll, it'll hey be... guys welcome to my speed run of mummification it'll be at summer gdq <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to SDCC. <laughs> Sorry, uh, speed run modification. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's a little but, bit of gaming humor yeah. for all the gamers all out you, there. All you gaming friends. All you game boys. Uh, you on that Counter Strike time? Oh, Let's yeah. hit me up. I really like name a video game. What's a popular game right now? Dude, the thing is, you play video games. <laughs> I don't know why. You, like uh, PUBG. Yeah, like, pub, that's, PUBG. That's the, that's the one. one. Yeah. I love that game. Yeah. Get at me. Uh, Team Fortress 2 why not yeah Uh, Team Fortress 1 even anyway but um, so they're mummifying these golden boys alive but they uh, they got something special for your boy Imhotep oh dear the Hamundai the Hamundai which is this horrifying curse where you are not only mummified alive so you have your tongue cut out you're mummified alive and you're thrown into a sarcophagus with flesh eating scarab beetles for all of time for eternity but but here's the thing if anyone should ever resurrect oh, you, yeah. you will Dude, get superpowers. This is ridiculous. Now, this is the first listen. thing I wrote down in terms of why this makes no fucking sense. They're like, well, why do we need to bury him in this crypt that we lock with this magic key for all time? Oh, because if he comes back, we'll have magic powers. So why don't we just not give him magic yeah. powers? Why would you curse an enemy with superpowers? <laughs> why would you be like, hey, fuck you, man, this is going to suck. But if you ever come back, you're going to have oh, the power to do so anything powerful. you want. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It really makes like, no surely, sense. Like, surely... 
mummifying someone alive and being like, Haha, jokes on you, pal, you're dead now. Yeah. Like, that's that's a great prank. Just kill him in but any like, way that yeah. doesn't give him so giving, giving someone power over the desert and the plagues <laughs> seems, like, really counterintuitive. Yeah, it, it's it's at, very bad. At no point are, like, people like, man, that was a bad idea. Everyone's yeah. like, well, well that's you the had way to they curse him. No, like, of yeah. course, there was no other way. He had to be cursed. And then they're like, He okay. touched the pharaoh's girl. Like, the, he had to be cursed. He had to be given magic powers. And then they're like, <laughs> okay, so his crypt is locked with this key. Let's just keep this key for generations and just pass it down from person to person rather than just throw it away. Yeah, why not or just get it? don't make a key. Melt <laughs> just, it down. Just Haven't don't. they seen Lord of the Rings? Just throw it into the fire. Just don't have a key. Just have the Never thing. make it. No, just... <laughs> yeah. A nice little tight five pre-movie explaino of the movie that's about to come. Highly remakeable. Thank you, Jackson, for the dunkaroo there. Yeah. That's right. The alley-oop. So, okay. cut forward 3,000 years. Yeah. There's a war going on? It must be like the 1930s, uh, right? Yeah, I mean... It's pre-World War it's II. It's not clear, yeah. Um, so probably war. like late 1920s, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, but you got this like sort of... What looks like a Western army, a lot of the dudes involved look Middle Eastern, fighting against, like, I think they're called... Um, Some people on horseback, doesn't yeah. matter who they are. It's really weird. So, like, we're still getting the person who was narrating the original, like, pre-movie movie, we find out is one of the descendants of the Pharaoh's temple guards, and they've been yes. watching over this holy site ever since to make sure that no one can resurrect the mummy that they've given superpowers to for no real discernible reason. They never take any credit for that. But, like, no, they Jesus. never take any ownership of that. They, they get really mad at everyone else later for letting him go but they never take any ownership for yeah. creating the super powered monster but you know whatever but Brendan Fraser's there and we get our first look at Brando my yeah. favourite man in this movie I gotta say he's looking pretty good dude oh dude he looks very good yeah he's highly sexy and highly erotic yeah he's also got an incredible shot like, and he's made every, of guns every bullet he's firing <laughs> is hitting its target yep. he, he's got two he's got two fucking revolvers there he's firing it runs out of bullets don't worry he's got two more he's got, in his he's, back pocket. he's literally just made of guns yeah. this guy and, and this is the first time I've read out wow there are a lot of murders in this movie yeah I don't remember there being yeah. this many murders in this movie I would say easily a hundred people die in this film dude so the war or the little battle starts to go wrong for Brando and his friends so we don't know yeah. who they are a bunch Be- of them are cowards uh, and they run away a pal of his Benny is there who is a coward he yep. runs away so Brendo's on the run on his own and he like is running from all these guys on horseback and he gets to this pillar and it looks like he's fucked. But then... It's that uh, Statue of Anubis, I believe. I guess. Yeah. And then they all get spooked and they run away for reasons that aren't exactly clear. Uh, and then the sand makes a face. Yeah. The sand just makes a big face and it's very spooky. And it's like, hey, Brendo, I see you there. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, that was incredibly spooky. And then he walks away. And we we get, just like walked into the desert. Yeah, and we get a shot from the top of the of the mountain overlooking this from the descendants of those temple guards slash the narrator of the pre movie movie who I don't think ever gets a name, uh, but he'll be back later no. in the movie. Yeah. And, hey. and they're like, "Should we kill him?" And this guy's like, "No, the desert will kill him." I guess that's that. We don't and need to worry about it. We then cut to... Well, before you get onto that, The Desert Will Kill Him is my first title pitch for this movie. I think that's pretty good, dude. Out of all of yeah. the things that have happened yeah. so far, which is not many. We cut to Cairo, like, three years later, mm-hmm. and we've got my first note here, which is, oh, good, a naff, hapless English woman running a library in Egypt. I bet this is going to be very good. Yeah, we get uh, Evie, played by Rachel... Weiss? Weiss, I yeah. believe. Uh, who's essentially presented here just being uh, adorably clumsy. Uh, she's just kind of going she's around. She's so adorable because she's so she's, clumsy. Yeah, she's both those things. Uh, she's uh, hanging out in this library. She's putting books away, chuckling to herself. She ends up knocking over like 14 stacks of like 
bookcases, essentially, and just, like, totals this library. Oh, uh, man, I've written down, why would you put your bookshelves in domino arrangement? Everyone knows you don't put your bookshelves yeah. in domino <laughs> arrangement. That's librarian 101. Yeah, That's Jesus. like, And they're not very well fixed to the walls. It's very bad. Uh, um, we get uh, the head of this, like, the main scholar of this li- library, like, just coming down on her. She defends herself. We get a bit of exposition about why she's a, an important person. She can uh, translate Egyptian and hieroglyphics. And also her um, parents hi- were important people. Her parents are important people. Uh, etc. etc. We basically just get like a chunk of exposition. Um, and then he leaves and tells us she has to clean up the library that she fucked right up. And she hears some spooky noises from a back room. So she goes out in the back room and she says. And like, let's be <clears> honest, <throat> like the atmosphere here is pretty spooky. It's quite spooky. It all and slows down. There's a lot of breath going on. And she's like, Abdul? Muhammad? Bob? Bob? <laughs> and I'm and like, like, is yeah. that a joke? Is that meant to be the joke? Well, is it is it that there are three men working in his library called Abdul, one's called Muhammad, one's, one's called Bob? Or is she just going through common names in Cairo? And she's like, Abdul? No, Abdul here. Muhammad? <laughs> no, Muhammad either. I'm going to try a Bob. Oh, man. I don't know. Because we literally never get an explanation of why she said that or why it was funny. And then a fucking mummy pops out of a little fucking case that it's in. First jump She gets very spooked. And it turns out it's her brother, Jonathan. Ah, what a fucking guy. Dude, pranks? Very, very remakeable. Uh, Pranks are highly remakeable. And I'm sure they'll be in the remake. The next thing that we get from Jonathan, I've got down as highly remakeable. Which is when she's like, don't you have any respect for the dead? And he just fucking stares her dead in the face and says, of course I do. In fact, sometimes I wish I could join them. Yeah, he's got that real... Like like 2017 (laughs) suicidal self-deprecating humor? Yeah. Highly remakeable. of course. That was the first point I noted that was like, my word. They are on that grind of the fucking 2017. They're like 20 years early. Jono says he's been on a dig recently mm-hmm. and he's uncovered something. Evie's turning him away, essentially just like laughing him off. She's like, this is all bullshit. Yeah. You're bullshit, Jonathan. And, but then he pulls out this little oh, trinket. This little trinket. And Evie loses her mind briefly. She's playing with it and he's like, Evie, tell me I've found something. And she's oh, like, yeah. Jonathan, I think you found something. Cracks this thing open and there's a map. Yeah, and she recognizes the cartouche that's on it. And then we get the call to action of the movie, which is they head back to, like, the head librarian's office, and he's like, oh, this map is all bullshit. This is all just random shit. And yeah, then we get- so it's a, it's, a, it's a map to the City of the Dead, Hamanaptra. Which is apparently, like, a fabled city full of riches that people have been looking for for generations and millennia, and people think it's a myth, and some people think it's real, and lots of people have spent their whole lives looking for it, and they're all like, oh, we found some evidence. I believe the city's real. And then this old man's like, oh, it's all puppycock. I can't imagine it. And then he accidentally burns the map. Yeah, uh, accidentally in well, uh, inverted commas. Yeah, for reasons we'll find out later. But uh, the main thing that happens in this scene is Jonathan goes, everybody knows this story, and then proceeds to recount it for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that this was a city full of riches, and it had some magical switches that could be flipped that would sink it into the sand. So now we get a really unmotivated scene where Eve and Jonathan go to prison, and Jonathan reveals that he didn't find the trinket out on a dig. He stole it off someone in a bar. And then they're like, this is the guy you stole it off? And they bring out Brendan Fraser. And if you're confused by my description of this scene, 
That is because this scene is fucking completely bonkers. Like, they're in a library, they're talking about this trinket in this map, literally the next thing that happens, smash cut, we're in a prison, they're talking about how he stole this thing of someone in a bar, and then Brendan Fraser's been in prison for three years. Yeah, it's a very George of the Jungle type like, vibe, yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if maybe like, like the film schedules lined up for that, and he was like, listen, I, I-, I can be there for reshoots, but... <laughs> I could have filmed this George of the Jungle film. Yeah, and so they had to come up with a reason for him to have long hair and a beard. So they just said his character was in prison. Yeah. How did they know he was in prison? Yes. They just kind of show up at the prison he's in now, being like, can you tell us any more about this puzzle box we stole from you? And he just punches Jonathan in the face, and then, like, grabs and forcibly kisses Eve, Mm. uh, and then the guard captain comes over and just says, kill him! It's dragged yeah. away to be executed. And, uh, but before that happens, Brendo uh, slash Rick O'Connell, Rick uh, O'Connell grabs Evie and is like, I'll tell you everything about Hamanaptra if you get me out of this place. And then he's dragged away to be hanged. Yeah, well, he also like starts beating the shit out of the guards with him and he's like, do it, lady! And like, it's just kind of like, this is pretty cool, but like also probably not helping your situation to be like, get me out of here. Now I'm going to beat up these guards. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess they're killing him anyway, right? Yeah, right. To, like, <laughs> like take as many well, people out as you can. Like, just fight as hard uh, as you can, <laughs> I suppose. He's like, they carry me up to the gallows. I may as well just take some fucking reckless swings at a few of them on the way. Oh, Jesus. And uh, so, the next thing that happens is it's, it's Rick O'Connell's hanging scene. And uh, for some reason, Evie is allowed to hang out with the captain of the guard up in his private viewing chamber while they're yeah. hanging Rick. What's this dude's name? We never get his name. I refer to him as the George Calambaras looking motherfucker because he looks like George Calambaras. Uh, and then later I refer to him as the guard. <laughs> Later, okay. Well, let's say let's say guard captain. What about just George? George? Okay, yeah, we'll just call, let's him, call George. him George. All right. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure boy we, George. we don't get a name. Boy George. Boy George. <laughs> anyway, boy George is there. He's chatting with Evie. Yep. Evie at first is like, "I'll give you a hundred pound yeah. to like save this so man's life," and he's like. I would give you a hundred pound to see him hang. <laughs> Which and is like, fucking amazing. I particularly because this guy is like a captain of the prison. Yeah. Surely <laughs> surely he sees people hang all the fucking time, and yet he's like, I'd pay for it. Dude, like, he just hates Brendan Fraser. That's the implication. But there's no reason why. Like, well, maybe maybe he beat up on his boys earlier, and he was like, you know what, this guy has to die. I mean, it's implied that Brendan Fraser is in prison for having a good time. He had a earlier, very good time. Earlier in the film, he had a very good time, and so now he's going to be hung for it. So maybe part of that very good time really pissed off the guard. I don't know, it's not all that important. For me... The Nameless Guard. I'm actually looking up what he's called right now on Wikipedia. Oh, please. The character's name is Warden Gad Hassan. Gad Hassan. Yep, so there you go. Gad, not George, from henceforth. Uh, but yeah, for me, Gad gets an MVP nomination oh, here. 100%, dude. For the line, I would pay £100 just to see dude, him hang. this guy is just like comedy gold the whole time. Yeah. Like, he's just on that grind... Making you laugh, and it is... uh... He's comedy gold, and it also sucks, because the characterization of this character is when she's like, 500 pounds, his immediate response is, and what else? And he grabs her thigh and says... I am very lonely. Oh, it sucks the most. Like, it's all, like, portraying these, like, Egyptian, like, gods as, like, dumb and, like... There's not a a single Egyptian that comes out of this film looking good, and that is an issue. Except for Imhotep. 
who looks very good. Yeah, Imhotep. Well, okay, spoilers, but Imhotep <laughs> looks very good. Yeah, she gets him out of it by saying that he knows where Hamanoptera is, and they'll bring Gad there, and he can have twenty five. Yeah, they kind of, of ba- they kind of bargain for a bit. Uh, we get Evie just staring at Brendan Fraser as he's uh, cut down. Um, like she's like the oh, smuggest look on her face, being yeah. like, "I saved oh, you from strangulation." I saved you now, but like, I don't know. She took a long time to get to the point. Yeah, like basically, like she spent like about a minute and a half being like, "What about this deal? What about this deal?" Like, All the while, the dude is like choking like, yeah, to death. He'd, he'd already been hanged. The only reason he was still alive is because the knot failed to snap his neck. Like, she didn't do a great job, but she did get him out of it. Yeah. So we'll give her that one. We'll give I her just a pass feel like she's, like, a touch too smug for that. Yeah. Um. So, the next thing that happens is they're on the docks, getting on a boat. It's Evie and Jonathan. They're getting on a boat to go out to Hamanaptra, I guess. And she's talking shit about Brando. She's like, he's filthy, rude, a complete scoundrel. And then he comes over. Hey, she, what's that? Ooh, Who's that ooh. over there? Who's Hang that on. fine slice? And like, fuck Ooh. me, dude. Brendan Fraser looks that oh, good. He's so handsome, like, dude. I think Ooh. kudos to the film Ooh. of like making him all George of the Jungle and then shaving him back. He Ooh. looks pristine. He does look good. And she's swept away by how good he looks. And she stops talking shit immediately. They're about to get on the boat. He apologizes for punching Jonathan in the face, and Jonathan says, oh, happens all the time, which is the start of endearing this character to me. I fucking love Man, this dude. Jonathan is a, he's very good. Yeah. So then um, Gad shows up out of nowhere, and she's just like, oh, what are you doing here? Like, did she forget the previous scene? I guess like, so, right? They're literally in the prison. She's like, we'll give you 25%. And he's like, deal. And then he shows up, and she's like, yeah, he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm protecting my investment, which I think oh. is fair, given that they forgot about him as soon as they left. Yes. One thing that also happens, like, right before that, is that uh, Evie turns to Rick, talking about Hamanoptera, and she says, can you guarantee this isn't some sort of flim-flam? Yeah. <laughs> which is my first nomination for title. <laughs> That's very good. But yeah, they get in a boat, and they're heading towards uh, Hamanoptera, so Jonathan's gambling with some American cowboys and he lets slip that they're looking for Hamanoptera and then Rick comes out on the deck and they're like, oh, I bet we get there before you, O'Connell. And they're like wanting to place a wager and Rick's really pissed off that Jonathan told them that we're going that they're going to Hamanoptera. But they and, but they do place a wager. He, he does he does place a wager. He's like, 500 cash bucks. Yeah, 500 cash dollars, cash bucks. Yeah, and he's like, we'll be there before you. And then we just get the quickest cut to this impossibly foppish British man wearing a fez and holding a cigarette holder who says how can you be so yeah. confident what makes you so sure yeah and it just like cuts away immediately and then before Jonathan gets a chance to let loose that they have a man who uh, has been there before uh, Rick cuts him off and the Yanks go ahead and say that they have a guide who has been to Hamanoptera yes of course um, which is we're exciting. about to find out who that is now before we go any further that Egyptologist who we just cut to yeah. that extremely published man yeah. that motherfucker was in Jumanji yeah. <laughs> I wondered where I recognised him from who, who the fuck oh, is that dude fuck, dude um, because he's also heard dude. in Richie Rich <laughs> <laughs> That man made my childhood! Uh, it's Jonathan Hyde as Dr. Jonathan Hyde. Dr. What Alan else Chamberlain. What has that man done? What? Well, Doctor, has what's, 
What's his name? Dr. Alan Chamberlain. Alan Chamberlain, there you go. Because we don't get that in the film. We just no. get that Egyptologist, and that's it. He was in Titanic. He was in Jumanji. Mm-hmm. He was the, the poacher in Jumanji. Like yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the main antagonist. Hunter Van Pelt. And Slash um, the Dad. Dude, he's in Dinotopia. Fuck <laughs> off. Who is he in Dinotopia? Mayor Waldo, dude. <laughs> he's Mayor Waldo. What is it about us? Like, we can't escape Wentworth Miller. Everywhere we go, he haunts us at every turn, like the fucking spectre of grim death. Everywhere we go is Wentworth dude, Miller. Dude, do you think when you die, you see Wentworth Miller? Yeah, Wentworth Miller is one of the five people you meet in heaven. <laughs> same for everyone you know like the rest of them are all variable it's like you know the person you most loved the person that you need to apologize to but one of the five is always Wentworth Miller oh fuck dude remember that time we wrote that rap about Dinotopia yeah dude I got a valid dope for you I'm lost in Dinotopia For anyone playing at home, Jackson and I have a borderline unhealthy obsession with Wentworth Miller, and (laughs) I won't say any more about that right now. If anyone knows Wentworth Miller and could get him in contact with us, I would pay you 1500 human dollars. Dude, I would pay you 500 pounds or 500 cash bucks, whichever one you prefer. I'd give you 500 pounds of human flesh. (laughs) (laughs) There is no amount too high! Yes, I would, yes. Wentworth Miller is a personal hero of mine. Moving on. I'll say no more about yeah. that. I'll say no more about that. I mean, I think at any point, if we go any further, I mean, we're, we're liable for arrests. So that's true. That's true. Let's move forward. Okay, so what happens now? Uh, um, they're, they're hanging on the boat. Uh, O'Connell's got a big old bag of guns. Dude, he's made of guns. The man is made of guns. <laughs> he's just, it's he's incredible. Like, every time he opens his shirt, six guns fall out. <laughs> he's just a gun boy. Yeah. And then she says... But why did you kiss me, though? Yeah, and then Which he's like, very I was going to die. I thought it was a neat thing to do. And then she's... Ooh, it's very bad how yeah. much she's just instantly turned on a dime, knowing nothing about this guy other than that he's a very handsome man. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I think it sucks. Devil's advocate. <laughs> man, that Rick O'Connell looks good, though. <laughs> that freshly yeah. shaved he, Rick O'Connell. He, he looks... Very good. He's pretty dude. thick, that's true. Yeah. And if he's made of guns. <laughs> well, you know, he's a firecracker. Yeah. What's his dick firing? <laughs> 12 gauge, dude. Get it out. <laughs> we know he never misses. <laughs> So, after he talks to uh, Evie, uh, Rick's walking around on the side of the boat, and oh shit, who's that? It's Benny! He's the cowardly friend who Benny. left him for dead earlier in the fight scene, and he's the one escorting the Americans. Uh, at this point, Benny says something to him when they're, you know, just kind of shit-talking about who's going to get to Hamanaptra first. He's, Benny says to him, you've got more balls than brains, which for me is a 
very nice tie-in to Point Break nice. and a very remakeable element. Of course, Having dude. more balls than brains. Yeah, That's something we look for in a protagonist. Now, we get the first instance of something that will become a recurring theme in this film and this coming scene, which is Rick just throws Benny into the water. <laughs> he just says goodbye, Benny. He's like, just and picks just him up, throws him in the ocean. He just loves throwing people, and especially Benny. Our girl Evie is just love struck by Mr. O'Connell. She's trying to learn some stuff about some scholars and whatever. Can't do it. And then this dude just rocks up. This dude dressed all in black, wielding this hook, and it's just kind of like, where is the map? And she's like, uh, it, it, it's there, and points it on the table, and he's like, where is the key? And she's like, the, the key? What, what, what key? Ah. And, and then Brendo just bursts in the fucking door. This dude, like, grabs Evie and, like, puts the hook to her face sort of thing. Yeah. Before Rick can sort this out, this dude just pops out of this window, yeah. like, saloon style. Dude, and Rick shoots him in the face. Yeah. He just instantly, like, caps him right in the yeah. face. And this film just reminds you again of, like, how much they don't give a fuck. Dude, so many people die, dude. Evie, like, grabs a candle, jabs it into this hook guy's face. They start bailing out of there. Evie tries to run back to the map. Um, Rick's like, don't worry, map's up here on my head. Yeah. Jonathan busts into the room. Dude. And then, like, kicks this dude this into so the fire. stupid. Like, oh he bursts into the room and, like, trips into this guy. <laughs> and he fucking lights on fire and he's burning to death. It's insane. Um, so now we're out on the back deck, and there's a lot more of these like dudes all in black that are attacking everyone. The cowboys are there shooting Death people, shooting away. Rick turns to Evie and is like, "Can you swim?" And she's like, "When the occasion calls for it." And he's like, "It calls for it." Picks her up, he throws her over. He just loves throwing people in loves the water. <laughs> It's all he wants to do. He just throws well, people I in mean, the water. Like, I feel like uh. if, if I if I discovered one day that I had real ease at throwing people around the room, I think I'd just start doing it, dude. He's so strong, like, dude. Uh, Gad is there, and he's turning to Rick, and he's like, what do we do? It's all going wrong. And Rick just goes, I'll get help. And then he throws himself in the water. He, he just loves throwing people. It's all he wants to do. He's a man obsessed with guns and throwing people in water. Those are his two great loves and the only things that will sustain him for the remainder of this movie. Very people good. being thrown around? Highly remakeable. Uh, and then at that point, everyone's just like bailing straight off the boat, diving into the water. Um, and then we get people, um, washing up on shore. So, Rick and his party need to buy some camels. Jonathan hates camels. Then they're walking through the desert with some camels. We get a lot of nice sweeping shots of the desert mm. while they walk around on these camels. It's all very camel-centric. People fall asleep on the camels. It's very funny that they're sleeping on the camels. And, uh, we get a few shots of these mysterious temple guard boys hanging out on, like, a dusty mesa. So, uh, Brendo and his friends run into Benny and his mates and they're all hanging out and having a bit of like oh guess you made it oh, nice camel motherfucker and then rick's like oh we're about to be showing the way yeah the uh the <clears throat> americans are there they're yelling about hey o'connell don't forget that wager 500 cash bucks oh very good fucking sure all right boys uh the sun rises and all of a sudden hamanoptera appears out of nowhere. There's a mounted race between Benny and Rick. They're on their way over to Hamanaptra. Fucking Benny gets his fucking little whip out and starts whipping the shit out of Rick while they're riding along. And then Rick just fucking throws him off his mount. Does what he does like, best. Yeah. Just picks he him up. He can't help himself. Throws and him And then like, the as they're going past, if he's like, you deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Just keeps on riding on. And then she, uh, 
I guess she knows what a camel likes because she whispers something, hits it in the right place, and this camel just speeds ahead. And uh, we get a quick shot of Jonathan being like, Go, Evie! Yeah! And she makes it to Hamanatra first. It's true. That's 500 <clears throat> cash dollars, my friend. Yeah, I know. And then we never hear about it again. Never. <clears throat> so, this is where I've written down a little bit of friendly competition to steal some relics. Very Matthew Riley, very remakeable. Now we're in Hamanaptra. Uh, Rick opens, like, a little hole in the ground that they're going to go down in. And uh, Gad Hassan says, I hate bugs. And then they go down in the hole. Here's something I want to talk about at this point. Do you remember watching this movie as a child? And did you feel like you had, like, an inflated sense of, like, how dangerous scarab beetles were? And how important that was going to be in your life. are you kidding me? Of course. Some of these scarab beetle scenes that were coming up, like, fucked me up in a major way. The thing I'm getting at here is, like, I assume you've seen that meme. This idea of, like, did anyone else watching movies think that, like, quicksand was going to be a more important part of their life because of how it's represented in movies? That's how I feel about scarab beetles here. Yeah. Like, watching this movie, I just felt like, oh, fuck, scarab beetles. And I feel like, you know, that's just something you carry with you. Like, oh, scarab beetles, they'll burrow under your skin and eat your flesh. But then, like, of course that's not a thing. So anyway, they're down underground, they hear some, like, creepy bug sounds that we now know as scarab beetles later on, but at the time, the characters don't know, and then they're walking around, it's all very spooky, it's all very creepy, and they come face-to-face with the American group led by Benny, and uh, they have a bit of a little standoff here, where Rick's holding his guns, Benny's got some guns, and they're all like, Benny's like, well, there's 15 of us and only four of you, so I like our odds, and Rick's like, I've had worse, and Jonathan just fucking goes, yeah. Me too. <laughs> and then we get this little thing where he looks at Rick and just gives him this, like, tiny head nod, like, I'm with you, dude. And for that fucking little expression oh, on his man. face in that sweet standoff, Jonathan gets an MVP nomination for me here because he nails it. Gad is off trying to steal a little bit of gold. Yeah, so he comes across this... He's, like, gone exploring. He comes across this, uh, this wall with, like, a depiction of the pharaoh Seti, I believe. Yeah. Um, and there's... So, extraterrestrial intelligence. Yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> you fucking nerd. <laughs> um, and he's there, he pulls out a knife and starts digging out these uh, little, like, bluish gold... Um, Scarab like, beetle pendants, yeah. which he says, ah... Oh, Blue gold. Which is this will fetch a high price. So funny. But he's digging these things out of the wall. We get his intercut with like other people digging for shit and that sort of thing. But the important thing is that at one point he he keeps being like one more and digging another one out. He drops one of these on the sand and then it kind of hatches. Yeah. And from this blue gold exterior is a fucking scarab beetle which digs into his fucking shoe and then crawls its way through his body under the skin crawling up up his chest up his arm up his neck into his face and like into his brain oh man this actually fucked me up watching this movie particularly when I was younger dude I I will never forget that scene ever it's horrifying and uh, we get this strange scene where Jonathan's like playing golf with a hammer and some rocks while Evie describes the process of mummification to Rick and Rick's sufficiently horrified. And then Jonathan uses a golf swing that's so powerful he manages to knock a sarcophagus out of the ceiling and it lands in the room in front of them. And they quickly realize that, oh, he was buried right underneath the statue. He must have been someone very important or done something very, very bad. naughty. He's a very bad boy. Yeah, it's highly erotic, highly sexual. Oh, dude, it's so sexual. Yeah. yeah. And then she realizes that they need a key to open the coffin. They hear this screaming. And then you better believe our boy Gad runs out 
like shirt open, just like clutching at his head, running full pelt, and just runs straight into the wall and dies. Mm, he's dead, and they don't really know why he's done. And they don't really give a shit. They at just all. don't. They're sitting around the campfire after Gad has run into the wall and died, and they're talking about how they think there might be a curse, and Evie's all like, I don't believe in curses. And Brendo's like, I believe in being prepared. And then he picks up a shotgun and does that very awesome thing where he like pumps it with one hand and then proceeds to do nothing. He literally, like, picks up the shotgun, pumps it, and then just kind of looks intensely into the darkness while Jonathan takes over the scene for a minute. And those Temple Guardian boys in black have arrived to try and fuck them up. The Magi, right. They come down, and they're shooting down the place. Dude, there Um, is so much murder in this movie, and it is so nonchalant. Like, literally, he tosses the shotgun to Evie after having been like, I believe in being prepared, he says, pumping a shotgun, doing nothing with it, and then running away to danger without it. And he runs into this fucking fight scene already in progress. He's shooting motherfuckers off their horses with his two little revolvers. Evie comes down with a shotgun. She's like, what's going on? And one of these horse dudes charges at her, and she just... Fucking murders him with a goddamn shotgun! I have here, <laughs> I have here why that Jumanji man have his umbrella open at night. <laughs> Cause that fucking Egyptologist is carrying around a fucking parasol. For uh, some reason, it's straight up nighttime. <laughs> uh, the way that Rick manages to scare off these magi is that he lights a stick of dynamite and just holds it out in front of him. And they're like, whoa, I'm not fucking with no dynamite. Yeah, it's the ultimate say that dynamite time. It's amazing. They all just leave because he's got a stick of dynamite and then he extinguishes it. Yeah, they're pretty much kind of like, you should leave or you'll die. And they fucking bail and then everyone decides to get drunk. There's a lot of daft things in this scene, like the very iconic line, what's a place like me doing in a girl like this? Don't tweet at me. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. There's not going to be the title. We, we have uh, her <laughs> being like, I'm proud of what I am. What's that? I am a librarian. <laughs> Which is, you know, a noble Which... profession. I don't mean to shade librarians hey. right now. She says, I'm going to kiss you now, Rick. And then he's about, she's about to kiss him and then she passes out. Brendan Fraser gives the air a little <laughs> kiss and it's very sweet. And yeah. then the next thing that happens is we're back in the underground mine. It's the next day and the Americans are all doing something that is... <sighs> Highly remakeable. So this is the American boys hanging out. They've got this thing that they can open where the old foppish British man is reading about the mummy's plans to assimilate their organs, which is like one of the worst series of words I think I've ever heard. Yeah, Benny um, fucking bails. Benny's like all shook and he bails. Yeah. But before that happens, the crocodile Dundee looking blonde American boy says, curse my ass. And for that statement... I'm nominating for MVP, <laughs> and I'm also nominating Curse My Ass as a title pitch for this movie. Yeah, it's pretty good, dude. Yeah, two, two, a twofer. A, a classic twofer. twofer. A classic twofer. That's what we call it in the industry. Our, our team good guys is what I'm calling them. That's like Rick and Evie and Jonathan. Mm-hmm are opening up the mummy sarcophagus. They've got the key that she has. And apparently this mummy is a little bit too juicy. But yeah, they soon realized that this dude wasn't properly mummified and was in fact thrown in here alive and, due and, to the fucking fingernail marks on the on like the inside of the sarcophagus. And for some reason that explains why he's still juicy. After 3,000 yes, years. The fact that he lived a few days after when they threw him in the coffin. I mean, dude's got superpowers, right? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> so the second I realized that this was the mummy who was the mummy mummy, I kind of wasn't worried about this anymore. But at yeah. the time I was like, the conclusion for why he's still <laughs> juicy is, oh, he was thrown in here alive. And they're all just like, 
oh, that makes sense. Mm. I was instantly like, of course. Well, if he was thrown here alive, then of course he's still juicy. So we jump to uh, team bad guys. Same as team good guys are Rick and even Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Team bad guys are... We don't really get any of their names. Yeah, the Egyptologist Le- and Blonde Boy and, and the other two, two brunette boys. boys. And, and Glasses Boy, who we later learn is named Mr. Burns. Yeah, Mr. Burns. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> A classic Simpsons Hey, hey, hey dude, hey, dude, hey, dude. Excellent. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, dude, what did you think? Hey, title pitch. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. You can throw that in the yeah, yeah. Uh, episode, episode five. Excellent. Smith- Smithers, get me that uh, man. Smithers, you are good at turning me on. Yeah, that's right. We were talking about Team Mad Guys and Mr. Mm-hmm. Burns. Um, so they're opening this chest and they find some book, which we think at this point is the book that Eve has been looking for, the mm-hmm. book of Amun-Ra. Later we learn that it's not. It's actually the book of the dead. But anyway, they find this book and they're not even a little bit worried about the curse. And the cowboys and the cowboys are all like, a book? Who cares about a book? I want gold. And then they find a bunch of canopic jars, which are gold. And at this point, did you ever read the books like Egyptology? You fucking better believe oh, I did. Oh, this dude. scene, dude. Man, I fucking spooked out my mom because oh. I was reading Wizardology and I made myself a staff when I was a young boy and she thought I was into some occult shit. <laughs> Wait a minute. Sorry. Stop the show. Are you telling me? How old were you? Who can say? You made yourself a wizard staff, Jackson! You made yourself a homebrew wizard staff after reading the popular children's novel Wizardology, and your mum thought you were into some occult shit. What what was the. What what happened from this? Well, I was like, no, it's it's not occult, mum. It's a wizard staff, mum. I'm just practicing magic. Yeah. yeah. I think she realized I was too pathetic to actually be a cult. (laughs) At a certain point, she was like, this boy ain't voodoo. I think there was a certain point where I... <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, there... <laughs> How deep does this go? <laughs> there was a certain point where I was, like, playing some magic with some friends, and I was running around my house, and there were these big old pillars, and I was running with my staff, and I ran with it sideways, and it got caught between two pillars, and I fucking ran into it. Close line yourself. I closed on myself and winded myself. Oh. And I was down, and Mum came out, and I was like, Ugh. and I think around that point she was like, he can't be a cult. Oh my god, dude! There's <laughs> nothing sadder in my mind than the image of ten-year-old Jackson clotheslining himself with his homemade wizard staff. That's. I can't believe you said nothing sadder. You should. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing sadder. There's nothing sadder. Search for deeper <laughs> There's nothing else. Uh, the sadder thing might be seven-year-old me thinking I have psychic powers. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you're like, oh, I'm I'm all up in this bitch's thoughts. No. <laughs> I don't know, I was seven. Like, I thought I had psychic powers. Like, but doing what? What no, are you doing? Like, telekinetic? Tel- telepathic? Both. Based, no. based on nothing sensible. No! <laughs> <laughs> but, like, was there anything actionable? I fucking made a staff, dude. It was a, like, short, it was a short-lived flight of fancy. <laughs> <laughs> when like I remember one day my dad was like I was talking to my dad about how my psychic powers and he was like alright tell me what I'm thinking about and I was just like um clocks <laughs> he was like alright 
You don't have psychic powers, you fucking idiot. Oh my god. Uh, they head back up to the surface after the cowboys, you know, get their canopic jars that sparked us down that whole Egyptology, wizardology, psychic powers there. <laughs> and uh, then they're all hanging out. Uh, the, the Egyptologist, the guy, falls asleep and Eve steals the book from him and she opens it up and Rick's like, oh no, yeah. don't open the book. It's apparent that Rick never sleeps because he's got his eyes closed lying down. She walks yeah. past and he's like, you shouldn't be taking that. Like He has no time to sleep, dude. All he's thinking about is throwing people in water and making impossibly good shots. Yeah, dude. Anyway. So, as you say, she steals the book and Rick knows about it. And then she starts reading from it. And Rick's like, don't read from that book. That looks creepy as fuck. And she's like, nah, I'm just going to read out of this creepy yeah, occult book she, I found in a crypt. She opens it up. The wind changes. And, like, we just get another example of everyone in this film ignoring very obvious supernatural signs. Like, every time they, they venture closer towards his mummy, like, the fucking wind changes. Like, a, a supernatural yell. And everyone's like, huh. Pretty weird. Yeah. Let's keep moving forward. Like, literally, like, the wind changes and Rick just goes, that happens a lot around here. Yeah. Which is a deliberate joke on that. But anyway, so she starts reading out of this book. She reads a bunch of creepy-ass shit in a tongue we don't understand. And then the Egyptologist wakes up and goes, no, you must not read from the book. <laughs> and then they get, like, a cut of the mummy fucking waking up, like, in the underground. Yamute, yamute, like, yamute. Yeah, and that's I'm it. waking up. Yeah. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> That's pretty good. Dude. Imagine, dude, in the remake when they do that part of the film when the mummy wakes up yeah. and they play that song because they're gonna. They're going to. So the locusts pour in, and I guess Jonathan starts immediately telling them about the fact that that's the plague. Yeah, we see the Egyptologist there holding the book, covered in locusts, just being like, "What have we done?" And for me, this is when this boy gets a an MVP a nomination. Yeah, I mean, he's at least self aware enough. Like at this up until this point, all we've seen of him is this very hoity toity, like, "Oh, I'm so incredible," and we'll just you know, it doesn't matter. But now, all of a sudden, he's like aware of the danger of what they're doing and actively wants to stop it. So yeah, I agree with you on that. He gets a nomination for that. Mm. That's fair enough. What have we done? Also, a title pitch because you would hope that the producers at Universal were thinking about that. Oh God. Uh, so, now, a whole bunch of crazy shit's going on, there's locusts everywhere, they all flee back into the tombs, I guess, for reasons that aren't exactly clear. Mr. Burns is, is running along with them, he falls over, drops his glasses, they get crushed, Ooh, and, and then he's just walking out, like, unable to see, he turns around, there's someone there, and we cut to black. Rick and Eve and Jonathan, they're being chased by a giant wave of scarabs that have burrowed out of the ground for no reason. They all jump off the thing onto little pillars of rock that are just suspended in nowhere, and Eve falls down a secret chute, and the other two don't see it happen. So they're like, Eve, Eve, after the scarabs have gone by, and now, yeah, we cut to Eve. Yeah, she's there, Mr. Burns is there, she's relieved because she thought there were some spooky monsters down there. But it turns out it was just Mr. Burns. Yeah, she goes over to talk to him, taps him on the shoulder, he spins around, his fucking eyeballs and tongue have been ripped out and let me tell you even with that gross cgi it's still pretty affecting i wrote down hot fuck that's spooky yeah because his fucking eyeballs are out of their sockets yeah and he's He's trying to say oh and then the mummy shows up but here's the thing the mummy rocks up sees eve uh fucking mr burns is trying to get away the mummy just turns to evie and is like and we get a sense of where this plot is heading. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, for some reason, Rick somehow gets down to where Evie's at, yeah, grabs her, goes to turn, the mummy's there, the mummy yells at him, he yells back, shoots with a shotgun, and then just, they just run away. <laughs> Trying to intimidate a spooky otherworldly force by just yelling 
highly remakeable. Thank you, Slambo! So the temple guard people are here, and oh boy, are they pissed. They're like, we told you you had a day to leave, or you might die, and now you fucked up, and we're all gonna die. So, fuck you. We're not gonna take ownership for the fact that we created this mummy, but we're mad at you for releasing him Sorry for giving this guy superpowers. Anyway, fuck you guys. Yeah. Yeah, we told you to leave. Now we had to cut back into the temple. Benny's still in there. And at this point, I'm like, because the mummy took uh, Mr. Burns' eyes and tongue. Imagine if it takes Benny's fez. And that's oh. all it takes. And the rest of the movie, the mummy's just wearing a fez. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes his fez right off his head. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> that would be so good. I wish he'd done that. Instead of doing that, he uh, decides to make Benny his slave. Yeah, Benny's got every religious symbol under the like sun. I this scene quite Yeah, a lot. it's very good. So Benny, at first, pulls out a, uh, a sweet uh, crucifix. And he's just kind of like, please, Lord, please protect me. That doesn't work. He goes down, grabs another symbol, starts talking in another language and like saying some sort of like blessing and that sort of thing. The last thing that happens is he's up against the wall and he pulls out a star of David and starts speaking in Hebrew. And then you better believe Imhotep is like, ah, oh, the language of the slaves. I may have use for you and the rewards will be great. Pulls out a handful of gold from Just like random his gold ribs, trinkets. I guess. Like yeah. it's like a sprocket and a spring and a ring. But it's, it's made just, of gold, baby. It's just a bunch of little yeah. gold bits that he has. And Benning just bows his head. He's like, nice. My prince. Yeah, he's like And that's it. He's like, sweet, I'll work for you. Yeah. So our uh, our young friends, those of us at the left, and our uh, team good guys head back to Cairo. Fucking Rick and Evie are trying to come to terms with the fact that they've uh. unleashed the, uh, I guess, in in some senses, the the apocalypse. And we get a very cute scene where, like, he's oh, packing... So cute. He's packing her suitcase. He's being like, we gotta go. She's unpacking her suitcase. She's like, we let him out. We have to stop him. And he's like, how are we gonna stop him? And she's like, I'll find a way. And they're doing the whole, you know, he puts the books in. She takes the books out. He puts the dresses in. She takes the dresses out. It's incredibly cute and very nice. Yeah. He goes down to the bar. Rick, that is. He's drinking with Jonathan, I guess. Yeah, and then we, we meet uh, Winston, this drunk Winston. motherfucker who was a veteran. Fr- he looks very old, but apparently he's a veteran from the Great War, World yeah. War One. Now, this can't be more than like 10 to like 15 years after that. Well, at a certain point, you'd run into World War Two. Yeah, so... This dude must have been flying during then. He looks like he's in his 60s. Well, the alcoholism has probably aged him terribly. Well, that's true. Uh, but essentially, he just keeps rabbiting on about the fact that he wishes he died in a, yeah, uh, a blaze of glory. it's bad. It's horrifying. Like, I've literally gotten down. It's not, it's not well done, but, like, the idea of a veteran being left behind while his friends died in a blaze of glory and being like, huh, fuck, I wish I died in a war. Anyway, now I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, it's like I've literally written down like this drunk British pilot scene is so sad if you stop to think about it for a minute. And for me, this band gets an MVP nomination. I fucking agree with you, dude. Purely just out of respect for a veteran. For a veteran. Fucking respect for the troops, dude. Yeah. Highly remakeable. <laughs> yeah, dude, 100%. Um, Benny's there with the mummy. He's wearing all these, like, robes and face masks, so you can't see that he's a mummy. And they're talking with Mr. Burns. Uh, somehow, they're just talking with Mr. Burns. Not clear how they got there or why, or what pretenses that they've had to meet him. And Benny's like, Mr. Burns, we thank you for your eyes and also your tongue, but I'm afraid more is needed. And then we cut over to the mummy, Imhotep, and he takes off his mask. And the second he takes off his mask, Mr. Burns screams. 
Mr. Burns is blind. He's blind. How he can't he see. Possibly, yeah. So why does he scream the second the moment he takes off his mask? Well, maybe he can detect aura. He can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. He's gained like a sixth sense. Yeah. When when I was practicing my wizardology, mm-hmm. I, I I learned how to just sort of detect auras and that sort of thing. So yeah. I, I think that checks out. The next thing that happens is the mummy's there. He sucks up all of Mr. Burns, and the booze turns to blood, and the sky starts raining fire, and the mummy's getting really strong because yeah. he's assimilating Mr. Burns. We got those plagues coming. Coming like a plague a minute at this point. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 very intense. <laughs> a plague a minute is a very good title pitch. Yeah. Brendo shows up in the nick of time with his new American friends. Uh, sees the mummy like over at the fireplace, like stitching a bunch of muscles together. Tries to shoot him a bunch with a gun. The mummy's really strong. And then all of a sudden, this cat teleports out of nowhere, dances dances on a piano, and the Imhotep fucking bails. He's terrified. Just, like, gets out of there and goes. He's incredibly powerful, but he's scared of cats on pianos. Yeah. So they're back in the library. Evie's there. Jonathan's there. Rick's there. The American boys are there. Who are still left. Mr. Burns, of course, being dead. And Evie's boss is there, who's the guy who was yelling at her before about the library. They hang, they're like hang out and they, they meet up with the guy who runs the library and we get an incredibly hot line drop that just comes in so hot. Smash cut to, we're members of an ancient secret society. Uh, it's a lot to <laughs> and take so, in. So he's there, like the guy who used to run the library with the guy in black from the Magi who is like the leader of the descendants of the Pharaoh's fucking holy guard. And uh, they're talking about how they're members of an ancient secret society that are devoted to keeping the mummy captive. Uh, ancient secret societies playing an important role in a movie. Highly remakeable. Slambo! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> And then the next thing that happens is Rick's hanging out with the American boys and he's got Evelyn and Evie's like, oh, I want to help too. And then Rick like throws her in a bedroom and locks her in the As room. As he's wont to do, he just throws her in the room. Uh, Evelyn's like, Jonathan, stop him. And Jonathan's like, oh, uh, he, sorry, Evie, he's a bit tall. Yeah. <laughs> It's a strange thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we learn through these various scenes that are happening that, like, what the thing that the mummy is bent on, or Imhotep, as I feel like we should call him now, which is the name of the mummy. Imhotep, yeah. Yep. He's bent on reviving his undead lady. Uh, Anuksunmoon. Anuksunmoon. Uh, he, he's just, like, hell-bent on reviving her, yeah. and, and they realize that in order to revive her, he needs a human sacrifice, and the sacrifice that he has chosen is Evelyn. So... The group decide they have to do something about it. They haven't really figured out how they're doing it yet. But uh, for right now, all they know is they got to protect Evelyn and find a way to kill the mummy. So, of course, they go find Benny. Because what else would you do when you're Rick? And yeah, you just fucking throw- Rick just comes in and pegs a chair, like, straight Dude, at him. he just picks him up and throws him around the room. Yeah. He just loves throwing Benny. He just like people generally, but specifically Benny. He's just all about throwing people around. And th- this scene is just him throwing Benny around, trying to get information. And Benny's like, I'm working for the mummy. And he said he'd keep me alive if I helped him. And... And he wants to take Evelyn, and also he needs his canopic jars back. And it is better to be at the right hand of the devil than in his path. Which, I gotta be honest, makes sense. Oh, it's a decent point if you're a coward, like Benny. He, he also reveals that like he's trying to get his canopic jars back so he can get back to full strength. And it, at some point it's revealed that the only people he's allowed to eat for sustenance are the people who opened that book. So it's gotta be all the American boys and the British Egyptologists. Like, he's not allowed to just eat anyone, um, even though... <laughs> That doesn't really make sense. There's but, no you know, reason why, yeah. 
whatever. So he's already got two of his canopic jars because the next thing we see is Benny gets, I guess, thrown out the window uh, and he survives. And we see a scene like in the town square where Imhotep's murdered someone and he's picking up one of the canopic jars. And we just don't worry about it. We're moving right along. <laughs> so uh, now we've got two American boys left other than Rick. That's the blonde boy and the other boy. And they're hanging out in the room. They've got the remaining two canopic jars. And the American boy is in the room and he's like... Or the blonde one, that is. And the other one's like, I'm going to go get a drink. Do you want one? And he's like, yeah, get me a glass of bourbon. And a shot of bourbon. And a bourbon chaser. I just love bourbon. At um, this point, I've noted, uh, because the, the the next thing that happens is, like, the pharaoh eats this American blonde boy for lunch. Yeah. Just sucks all, so the, sucks all the juice right out of him. And then he goes and, and pays a visit to our good friend, Evie. Yeah, he turns into sand and, like, fits <laughs> his way through a keyhole. Um, yeah. My question is, why doesn't he just, like, fucking bash the door now? Oh, dude. So many like, times of that in this movie. But, yeah. Like, the next thing that I've got is, wow, so... This whole thing literally happens because the pharaoh was such a fuckboy. Like, yeah, pretty he much. was literally like, no one can touch my lady. You can't even touch her. And she was like, I clearly am in love with this other guy. And he was just like, mm, well, how about you belong to me, though? Yeah. And then he sparks this whole millennia-long conflict and indirectly causes the generation of a supervillain who can bring down the world. I still love him a jai. I feel like if they hadn't given him superpowers... <laughs> That's true. That's we, would, true. we would never story it, you know. Assumedly, it was you know what the pharaoh would have wanted. Man, so the pharaoh's in Evie's room. He's kissing on her face. He's trying to suck her life force out for some reason, even though he needs her later. I think he's just kissing her. Dude. Yeah, for whatever reason, he's kissing her, and it's very bad. And then she wakes up, and she like you know is scrambling away. And then, dude, again, for the fucking third time this movie, Rick just bursts into a room for no reason. This time, carrying a cat. And I would like to posit, White Cat, nominee for MVP. Because of the way it has twice now scared away Imhotep. The only successful weapon against Imhotep has been this White Cat. Now we get this kind of half-baked scene where like the the whole party's back together and they realise that the Black Book, which is the one that Team Bad Guys dug up, can bring mummies back to life and that's what she accidentally did. But the Gold Book, the Book of Amunra, will kill them. And she's deciphering this slate and she realises that the the Book of Amunra is buried in the Statue of Anubis back at Hamanaptra. So they need to go back there. And as they're realising this, there's a whole fucking army of uh, people marking, marching towards them. Yeah, Imhotep has turned everyone using boils and that sort of thing boils into and swords, zombies. Into zombies of some kind. Which, there's a real leap of faith there. Yep. Which being like, now they're zombies. Yeah. It doesn't make so, any so sense. So Jonathan does what he's been doing the whole time where he just announces what plague it is. He's like, oh, of course, the third plague, boils and sores. Yeah. And then they're like, they're his servants now. You know, because of the boils and sores. And everyone's like, of course. Yeah. He's put boils and sores on them. So, you know, they're a service now. That's how it worked. If you give someone a boil or a sore, they belong to you. Yeah. My next title pitch, which is from uh, the librarian guy uh, who, or maybe it's from the, the guy from the Magi. I don't know. I was fucking, I was writing shit down. The line is, it has begun. The beginning of the end. <laughs> which to me is a tautology. You know? Yeah. Like, the beginning has begun. That's what they're essentially saying there. Yeah. The beginning of the end has begun. Yeah. And I think that that's a reasonably good title for the movie. No, I think it's good. Jonathan goes to get the car ready. Uh, he runs out there. This whole army of zombies rock up. And he, with the incredible save, just starts Dude. being like, Yeah, more tap. 
<sighs> and they all think he's one of them, and they leave him alone. And they just leave him alone. It's amazing. So quickly, like isn't like he says it like three times, and they're convinced. So they're in the car, they're fleeing. Uh, all of these like Imhotep zombies are chasing them down. The last of the American boys gets fucking got. He gets pulled right out of the car. He's got the last canopic jar that the fucking mummy still needs to become fully reformed. He takes down like fucking sixty of these zombies on his way out with his two guns. He just like never misses, yeah. And then he runs out of bullets, and then the mummy shows up and you know eats him whole as he's wont to do. And then the mummy's like, "Hey," to Evelyn. He's like, "Hey, if you come with me, I'll let your friends live." And they're all like, "Oh no, we can't do that." But then the fucking guy from the Magi is like, "Live today, fight, fight tomorrow. tomorrow," which is you know. A pretty good line, and and he's like, let Evelyn go with him. He still has to bring her back and sacrifice her to complete the ceremony, so yeah. we can all go and try and save her later. But then we get like the biggest prank from Imhotep oh, in that he, as soon as he got Evie, he's walking away and he's like, kill them all. Yeah, dude, <laughs> so <laughs> good. So so uh, immediately the zombies start advancing on the party. Imhotep's walking away with Evelyn, and then just. Out of nowhere, Rick finds a fucking hole in the ground that they can use to get into the sewers, yeah, like I guess. a manhole, yeah. He just, just finds one, like, right there. He's literally like, oh, there's a manhole right at our feet, exactly where we are. And uh, opens it up, and he pulls Jonathan down, and he goes down, and he's like, hey, come with us, uh, guy wearing a fez who is the librarian. And for no reason, this guy decides... Yeah, there's definitely uh, time, but he uh, just pulls out a sword, and he's... Got a heart of a sacrifice. Decides to have a last stand, kills like 13 guys with a sword, and then gets murdered himself. Anyway, our good, good team heads straight back to Cairo to get in touch with Winston, who's just like kind of chilling out under an umbrella in the desert. Yeah, because, um, you know, why wouldn't he be? Yeah, I guess so. They rock up to him and they're like, yo, Winston, we need a pilot. Also, you might die. And Winston is thrilled of this prospect. And they just get in his plane. Uh, they, uh, they have Rick at the back, like, man in the machine gun, they have Jonathan strapped to one wing, and the, the Lord of the Magi just, like, oh, the other. just loving it, dude. And, dude, I literally give him an MVP right here for his <laughs> thrill at flying. He, he, turns so to jo- he, turns to jo- he turns to Jonathan, and he's like, Jonathan's like, ah! Turns to the Magi, and he's like, how you doing? And guy's like, yeah! He just like, loves it, man. Just fucking, because I guess he's, like, only been on horseback watching yeah. for three years straight, you know? Like, he hasn't moved in so long. Yeah, and you gave him that MVP nom for just loving being on the plane. I can relate to that. I thought it was very cute how much he just loved being on the plane. Man, at this point, speaking of MVPs, the very next thing we see is, like, Imhotep lands in the desert doing another one of his sweet spin maneuvers. Those sweet spirals, dude. Oh, dude, it's so good. And he dumps out Evie, and he dumps out Benny, Benny. out on the sand. And at this point, I want to nominate Imhotep for MVP for these last few scenes in which he has... So many magical powers, man. And we're just about to see more of them. Like, he just, like, he can do so much different shit. He's also rocking a sweet loincloth. Yeah, dude. For no reason. Yeah, so this scene in particular, like, he looks very good when he comes out of this sand tornado. Look, I hate to say it, but, like, bad looks good. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a reason that, you know, that's a good look, Mm. being the bad boy. Uh, fucking our team good guys are flying towards Hamanaptra. Fucking Evie gives the game away by, like, hearing the plane and being like, O'Connell. Uh, so realizes this, raises this wall of sand, and then, like, pilots it, essentially. And then, like, oh, makes a face in the wall of sand, 
opens the mouth of the face and then swallows the plane. Yeah. But what we see right before that is him as a person moving his body and then opening his mouth and then like trying to swallow yeah. this invisible He's in plane. He's in San yeah. VR. <laughs> it's it's San VR and it's hard to watch. And uh, I've also noted at this point, this is where I've written down, this movie has everything, dude. Like, literally anything you want in a film, it's got it. they've got it. There's a plane chase where a giant wall of sand is chasing a bunch of adventurers in a World War One plane. It's incredible, dude. And so then uh, Evie distracts Imhotep by kissing him, and he can't sustain the giant sand wall face while being kissed, and it falls apart, and the plane crashes into the dunes anyway... Uh, Winston dies in the plane crash. Everyone else in the plane is okay. The plane's crashed into the side of a sand dune, and then it just starts sinking into the sand. Quicksand, dude. Yeah. So, all right. I'm not a scientist, but... You are a scientist. Look, I'm not this kind of scientist. No, okay. But you are a scientist. Yeah. Okay. That's true. I'm not this kind of scientist. Are they just... Airplane chassis-sized cylinders of quicksand dispersed randomly amongst sand dunes in the Sahara Desert. I'd have to believe it, dude. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's not like the whole thing is quicksand. Because none of the yeah, rest of them are in danger. That's true. Just the plane goes into the quicksand. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so maybe there's some quicksand in the desert. They happen to land the plane in the plane-sized pit of quicksand. Because none of the rest of them are even in danger of yeah. it. Just the plane goes under. I, just... I like to think that Winston was still piloting, in a way. <laughs> I was like, get me into that sweet This dirt. was Winston's final ride. Yeah. He wanted to live in the dirt. Yeah. He, know, he, he, he knows ashes to ashes, dust to dust, exactly. Winston to dirt. He exactly. knows that it's all important to, to go back where you came from. <laughs> Yeah, so our our good boys make it through. They get to Kamanacha. They're trying to uh, they're trying to dig their way in. Essentially, that's right. Uh, is setting up this whole ritual and that sort of thing. Jonathan finds that sweet blue gold, picks a bit off, and is like, "Hey guys, check it out! You better believe that Skara bursts open in his hand, is crawling his arm. Ooh. Rick, for some reason, is able to rip open his shirt without any trouble at all. I mean, he's a great, don't get me wrong, powerful man. He's a very strong boy, but like." No effort at all, rips open his shirt and just like grabs a butterfly knife, flicks it open, and just like digs a scarab right out of him. Digs this scarab out, like saves his life, you know. Because uh, Rick uh, shoots the scarab, he flicks off. Uh, hears this, and then all of a sudden summons some uh, summons some demi mummies. Yeah, so the, the these zombie friends that were the Golden Boys back in the day. The Golden Boys. He summons these uh, his former priests and tells them to go kill the uh, yeah. He just says friends. he just says kill them. And at this point, I've noted down. I wonder how many times in this movie a character says some variation of kill them. It's a lot. We get a fucking incredibly sick scene where a bunch of dudes with guns are just churning through mummies. Like, you've got fucking Rick there with his shotgun. You've got fucking Jonathan there with the little pistols. You've got the leader of the Magi there. And they're all just fucking... Like, just fucking blowing mummies apart. It's amazing. Like, I can't stand enough. If you've not seen this movie in ages like I have, it is worth watching just for this whole sequence where just Brendan Fraser is just blowing the fuck out of a bunch of mummies. We get our uh, our good uh, good friend Mr. Magi being like, I'm going to sacrifice myself. Save the girl. 
kill the creature and just rushes out and like just starts like taking on these uh these zombies head on. They've already blown up a few of them yeah. and that sort of thing. I mean Save the Girl Kill the Creature is a very good title pitch hey, and summary of this I movie. I definitely have it as a title pitch for yeah, myself. Yeah. And then so we we cut back to Imhotep hanging out at the altar where he's got Evelyn and he's about to do the ritual. And at this point I've written down something that's kinda nice. An undying love that transcends both millennia and the literal veil of death. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know? Mm. You've got to get yourself one of those. And it's also highly remakeable. And uh, they arrive at the ceremony that uh, Imhotep is conducting just in time for Brendan Fraser to murder 35 mummies with his hands while Jonathan struggles to read a book. Like, Rick grabs the sword out of somewhere and just, like, cutting these dudes down. Dude, he's amazing. very impressive job. Like, Jonathan is struggling with his book. He reads an incantation and then summons... The undead versions of the Pharaoh's bodyguards. Rick says, another title pitch from me. This just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Which is how I felt about the movie at this point. 100% dude. Because <laughs> it is a non-stop action roller coaster. That's I would right. Say. Uh, and then, yeah, these fucking Pharaoh's bodyguards uh, get their Imhotep, is able to control them and is like, they join kill the them. Fight. And then, like, uh, Rick's there trying to like fend them off he's fucking carving them up he's like cutting off limbs using like he's putting in work dude yeah dude cutting off heads and like using them as like uh, battering rams essentially like fucking like he's got a head in his sword and is like bashing onto death oh, with it man. I've noted Imhotep has lots of magic powers why is he just standing there yeah, he's, he's just kind of standing there, like, watching Rick beat his army to death and Jonathan try to fuck with the book that he knows will banish him. I think it's very engrossing, you know? The yeah, so, so he represents the audience yeah, in this moment. Yeah, he's like an audience well, surrogate. All yeah. he can do is watch. Of course. 100%. Yeah, so we're to understand that every time we see Rick or Jonathan in this scene, it's through the eyes of Imhotep, who's just like... <gasps> And he just can't, he can't look away. Yeah. The undead corpse of Anuxa on the Moon, like, is, is there. She, she's, she's in the mix. Charging at, uh, charging at Evie. She's literally choking her. Jonathan's like, I can't look at this last symbol. Evie's like, what is it? And he's like, it looks like a, like a, a bird, a, uh. Like a bird. <laughs> a boyard. Uh, <laughs> it looks like a boyard. It's a manifest. And he's like, all right, I see. And then he like fucking nails his incantation, and then all of a sudden these uh these pharaoh pharaoh bodyguards. They belong to him now. Yeah, you better leave. Jonathan's got him. He gets him to kill Anux on the moon, and uh, he's real mad about it. So as it turns out, this incantation that they managed to get out of this book right at the end of the movie doesn't actually kill Imhotep. It just makes him mortal. Yeah, so so basically we get at this point, uh Evie is free, she rushes over, they um they have the key, um, which which Jonathan has pickpocketed from Imhotep. Mm-hmm. They open the book, they're reading the incantation, Rick is left to fucking fend for himself. Yeah, he's fighting um, Imhotep. Getting them time. They read this important incantation. That's- which is literally Kadishmal, Kadishmal, Paradus, Paradus. Okay. Well, I guess you've read the fucking script of this film, no, Jackson. No, dude, that is literally what I got from listening to it. That is the incantation which takes his immortal soul away. Yeah, so it's like, four words. Don't get me know. wrong. No, no, no. It's two words repeated twice. Okay. Well, <laughs> How you're convinced... This is an incantation. I mean... This is two words 
repeat it twice, and it's like, and now his soul is taken away from him. Yeah, like so. As we learn, so like you know, this like spectral chariot comes in and sucks away all the mummies that they're fighting. It doesn't actually destroy Imhotep, and Rick's like, oh, I thought this was supposed to destroy him, and then as it turns out, it doesn't destroy him. It just makes him mortal. So Rick has, as you might imagine, absolutely no trouble murdering him. He's the 500th person Rick murders in this movie. Like, he comes over now that he doesn't have any mummy powers anymore. He's just child's play for Rick. Seeing as we've just watched Rick murder 300 zombies without breaking a sweat, he murders this final zombie with no difficulty whatsoever. He falls into a liquefied pit of souls? Yeah, Like, I guess he just so, falls right? into a liquid pit of souls. Like, it's not clear where the liquid pit of souls comes from, or why he's falling it into exists, it. Though. It's just there in the ground. We then cut to uh, Benny, who's been... He's trying to escape. From... All he's been doing this time is thieving. Yeah, which is, I fucking love. Yeah. But uh, it's gotten a bit heavy for old Benny. He have leads... we nominated Benny for MVP? I, I mean, fucking have. I hope so. I don't think we have. Well, I mean, fucking, here's one for him right now. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, Benny is great throughout this whole film. Yeah. He's there dragging things back to the treasure. He leans one against this like, little like, uh, pillow that's jutting yeah, out of the wall. It triggers a trap. It's it's a weird trap. Yeah. Well, no, dude, it's foreshadowed. Uh, Jonathan's doing that horrible thing at the start where he's like describing the cold action of the movie. Who was like, you know, the city is full of gold and treasure. Rumor has it there was a switch that could be thrown that would sink the whole city back into the sand. We're watching that happen now. No, 100%. It's just a weird place for that switch to be. Sure. But you know? yeah, we don't know what that room was originally. Yeah, <laughs> we that's, that's true. We don't know who was supposed it to live It just seems like a random hallway. But anyway, the point yeah. is, is that Benny hits it. The whole place starts collapsing. The heroes yeah. get out. They try and save Benny. They fail. Benny escapes being crushed by the falling walls and but finds his way back into the main chamber. He's eaten alive by scarab beetles. Which is an arguably horrible way to go. It's terrifying. And I felt very bad for Benny until I remember that he literally served the forces of evil. I think he was somewhat redeemable. He was <laughs> So now we're back outside the temple. We've got Team Good Guy. They're running away. It's all very crazy. And they get away just in time. They're about to get on their camels. And who shows up? But it's the King of the Magi. It's the King of the Magi. He's like, hey, nice. And he rides away on his camel. And then we get a big gross smooch between Rick and Eve. Jonathan's disgusted. And they literally ride off into the sunset. I just, I can't get past Jonathan. I think never, we're gonna, for the first time, agree. Yeah, never in a film have I seen someone excel so much, so many times. Like, like on the outskirts of the, the film. The dude had, like, fucking five moments of, like, pure MVP yeah, brilliance. Yeah. Like, he's amazing. He's got to do it. Jonathan, like, Jonathan gets Jonathan, it for me. You did it. You done like, it. It's so easy to make that character, like, an unredeemable, unlikable shitbag who just is there for the money, but, like, they found a way to make him so entertaining. It was... And also just be such a valuable player in the movie. That was breathtaking, dude. It, it was. It took my breath away. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one for you. <laughs> okay. Brendan Fraser nearly died during a scene where his character is hanged. Rachel Weisskopf remembered he stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. Who saw this movie, knew that to be true, and said, Brendo doesn't get any more action films. He doesn't get to be in Hollywood anymore. Oh my he only God, literally dude. nearly gave his life for the cause. 
Wait, so the end when he's cut down, is that after he's been resuscitated? No one knows. There's oh no earthly way of knowing. God, dude. Oh. That's fucking horrifying. How dare you? <laughs> Apparently, any time on screen that Benny is struggling with a camel, it's because all of the camels, for some reason unknown to the cast and crew, hated Kevin J. O'Connor. The actor who plays Benny. Like, they just wouldn't behave for it. Like, they just (laughs) knew that he was a turncoat coward. He struggles so much. And they just hate him. A cloak lent by the British costume rental company Angels and worn by an extra in the film was discovered to have in fact been made for Alec Guinness when he played Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars A New Hope 1977. The cloak Obi-Wan wears gets a cameo in this movie. Holy shit. That is incredible. That, like, this fucking movie contains the cloak from Star Wars. I mean, is that good, though? (laughs) I would compare this film to A New Hope. (laughs) According to director Stephen Summers... Universal phoned him the morning after the movie was released and said, we need another one. (laughs) Do it again. Do it again, Stephen. He goes, they saw this movie. This movie premiered. The execs went there and it was like, well... We have to get a sequel to that one. Dude, I'll be honest. Like, If Uh, I was in that position, I'd be like, fucking bring me more. The opening voiceover was originally intended to be read by Imhotep. Director Stephen Summers later realised that Imhotep wouldn't be able to speak English and gave the voiceover to Ardeth Bay instead. Oh my god. Literally for continuity. He Uh. wrote the fucking screenplay. (laughs) The Medjai were originally supposed to be tattooed from head to toe, but Stephen Summers vetoed against it because he thought Oded Fair was too good looking to be covered up in tat. (laughs) You're too pretty for that. (laughs) Okay, the last bit, the last bit here. This ties into a bit of dream casting. Leonardo DiCaprio was rumoured to have been offered the role of Rick O'Connell. It's believed DiCaprio was said to have loved the script and wanted to be in the film. However, he'd already agreed to star in The Beach. It's also been said that DiCaprio asked if The Beach could be delayed so he could film The Mummy. The producers refused. However, filming of The Beach was delayed anyway. (laughs) So there's a tangible world out there where this movie stars Leo DiCaprio. Alright, my remakeability rating for this movie is the highest remakeability rating I think I've ever had because I genuinely think this movie is so ripe to be remade. And I'm giving this film four canopic jars out of four. I'm going to give this one for remakeability six out of seven Egyptian plagues. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know how many we get in the film, but that seems like a pretty good number to me. Listen, there's seven in the Bible, and that's my truth. Still Interested is a production of The Curio Network and hosted by Ben McAllister and Jackson Usid. We are produced by me, Grace Chappell. Editing by Jackson Usid. 
Theme music is Anitra's Dance, composed by Edward Grieg. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Curio Network and at SICurio Show. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show, so find us on Facebook or Twitter. If you like the show, think about giving us a rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It actually is really helpful. We've got other content on Curio, such as Odds and Ends, where I talk with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them. Or How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, where we play D&D. Seriously, it's a lot of fun. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. We'll see you in two weeks.